up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Mr. Mike Giant. He joins us for an unprecedented fourth episode on the Live Free Podcast. He joins us via Skype from his studio in downtown Los Angeles. We talked honesty, tattooing again, efficiency, lineage, LA, court systems, checks and balances, 70s strength, Oprah for president, Chuck Norris movies, Thanksgiving, symbolisms, symbolisms, and sons of gods. So usually right here I go and do plugs. Let's just do let's do something different this time. All right, so we're coming up on the holidays, and it's supposed to be about the idea of giving. Uh, so let's let's do like a team building exercise. So all right, everybody who listens to this episode, including myself, because I'm listening to it, sort of coming out of my face. All right, let's choose within this over this next week to go out of our way to do something nice for somebody who maybe we wouldn't necessarily do something nice for. Since we're already kind of in the spirit, like people go and buy gifts for people that they don't just normally go. Imagine if everybody just bought gifts for each other in like random parts of the year. How interesting that would be. So instead of me plugging a bunch of nonsense and telling you who to follow and where to leave donations and shit, let's do this. Find somebody as soon as you can after listen, listening to this episode. Find somebody and do something nice for them. And if it's a stranger, like, it's even better. But don't be creepy. Right? Sometimes that shit looks creepy, right? Like, <laughs> and how weird is that? If you do something nice for somebody, the first sort of creepy thought is, like, what are they trying to get out of me? But instead of doing something that's for yourself or in a selfish way, uh, just do something out of the blue for somebody who wouldn't expect it. I'm sorry, hold on. So yeah, I think that'll be a pleasant surprise for people. Go ahead and try that out. And write in and let me know how it goes. If uh, if your experience was interesting and something uh, extraordinary happened, send me an email, info at Mike Maxwell Art, and I'll read the email. If some good ones come in, I'll read the emails on a future episode. So with all that said, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Mike John. Here. How's that start? <laughs> What's up, Lex? We're back. It's another episode of the Live Free Podcast. What's up, man? Uh, nothing. We're, uh, we're we're rolling right along. Got another episode in the uh, in the barrel. In the what's banks. the in the can? What's the what's the movie in term? The vault. Uh, there's like a movie term like once you're done with your film and it's in the can. It's in the can, right? I th- it's in I, the can. I never heard that. I I know that cans are like monitors in the. No, no, no. Because you know, like old films, they'd put them in those canisters. Oh, right? yeah. Like, okay. It all I see that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's in the can. I Cut. get that. We're done. So, uh, yeah, we got another episode lined up here. We're going to talk to Mike Giant here in a little bit. Nice. An unprecedented fourth episode on yes. the Live Free podcast. Besides you and Carl. Yeah, I know. And the same our, with you on my on my show also. In the fourth. Yeah, our our double shows. Uh, besides that, no no other guests have been on this many times. I think everyone looks forward to this guy being on the show a lot. Yeah, too. he's um he's one of my oldest friends and uh, in the art game and uh, like one of my earliest influences. Mm-hmm. 
Like I just, it's so funny. I just did a painting uh, for an old friend from high school who reconnected with me through Facebook. Turns out he does jujitsu too, which is oh, really nice. cool. Um, but he was the kid, and I've all, I've had a lot of outside influence, like learning about graffiti and like coming up in the art game or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there was one very specific moment in time. I had this English class that. Uh, oh, fuck, I can't remember the teacher's name. I've always been bad at remembering the teacher's names. It was like Mr. Wilson or some shit. Mean-ass fucking ginger-bearded, like, mountain man type. Nice. Like, but, like, probably <laughs> super Republican and just grumpy as shit. I don't know why English teachers are always like that. There must be, like, failed writers or, like, writers that didn't... That's what it is. Or they, or they aspired to be college professors but didn't have the cut to it. And yeah. so... That's the whole thing. So I, the class was always terrible. It was hard to deal with, and like, but and it was one of the like more advanced English classes too, uh-huh. and so like they expected a lot more out of you, and I decided to give much less. But anyway, so this kid would, uh, my buddy Scott would bring in graffiti magazines that okay. I had never seen before. So I'd ride, I'd ride the trolley lines and see graffiti uh, from like. El Cajon to downtown, like catching that stuff, but mm. it'd be so fast, you know, you're riding on the trolley, you w- you wouldn't really get that good a glimpse. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, he would bring in these magazines that had graffiti from San Francisco, from New York, from uh, the UK, and all si- different places like France, and you know, all around Europe. Yeah. And it, like, I was like, what the fuck is this? And it just tripped me out. Like, I I never made the connection between, like, because I grew up around, like, in, uh, I hung out, like, almost every weekend in, like, Skyline. uh, Okay. uh, Choyous Views, I think is what it's called. Fuck. Like, National City. Lamita Village, like, uh, South Lemon Grove. Okay. Uh, And so I was familiar with all, like, the Cholo graffiti, like, the gang shit, which was more territorial, like, shit than it was about. Uh, the like it, wasn't, it wasn't pretty or it anything like that. Well, it is. In my eyes, it was. Like, I already had an appreciation for it. But, yeah. Uh, it was, it's not the same thing. There's two different ty- types of graffiti. Yeah. Well, m- more than two different types, but there's two different those things. Those two from, that you were able to distinguish yeah, from. Yeah, and, and Mike's stuff was in some of those magazines oh, that nice. long ago. And I remember seeing it, and, and it's standing out, you know? Yeah. And I talk about this a lot, but... Uh, so... It's cool that uh, I could see the progression from like originally seeing his stuff, and I didn't know him at the time, or like it took a long time before I made the connection to realize that oh, that was that stuff that I was looking at then. Yeah, you know, five years later or whatever. That's pretty cool. And uh, he's been tattooing me for a long time, so we'll get into all of that. Um, let's just give Mike a call. Yeah. Yep. Will you hit that middle? Mr. Mike Giant. Hey, what's up, man? What's up, brother? Yeah, like the studio set up now. I can see it. That's yeah, like... yeah. We're fucking rocking shit now. We've got <laughs> producer Lex is over here on the right. Well, uh, over. Are you going to turn your video on? Are you going to rock? Uh, where do I do that? There should be like a, a camera icon, like a oh, video yeah, icon. Yeah. Let me yes. check out your spot, too. Yeah, what's up, buddy? There you are. We've been learning the technique as we go. Yeah. We both got headphones and mics now. I know. I know. It, it's. I was just telling uh, my friends who I had asked to be on the show like around like the first 10 episodes to come on now. Like They, they didn't end up doing it. I have a, a couple who uh, they're both photographers. 
Mm-hmm. And I haven't had very many photographers on the show, so like I've been wanting to get different angles on things of the same, you know, creative processes. Right. And I was like, man, the show has evolved so much, especially having Lex on board. Like the last twenty episodes, we got our shit together now. Yeah, good. good. So it's good to see you again twice in a in a very short period of time. Yeah, I uh, I was breaks here and there for yeah. sure. I was just lucky enough to come up and get my sleeve worked on a little bit we had some background stuff to do on my two-headed snake action yep and uh so i got to come up and and get tattooed in la so um yeah hey first off real quick was there anything that we talked about uh this week that you don't want to talk about on the show oh shit i don't know okay if there I is i can't think of anything okay good i didn't know if you no. if you told in talked about anything in confidence if i bring anything up yeah i, I don't know i don't know okay yeah. good if there is just let me whatever know. yeah Not that we, i feel like i'm incriminating myself or something I <laughs> well i just like thought that. about it i meant to ask you that but yeah I, no, that's fine man i usually don't have to do that thing because you know i'm usually like interviewing people or like it's like uh we're gonna have more of just a conversation because yeah. we've already done the interview thing plenty of times sure right. and even in that context since we knew each other beforehand it wasn't like a cold interview yeah, right, exactly. We knew what, what things we had in common to kind of get a conversation rolling. But then sometimes I got to be careful, right? Like, so if we have a conversation in confidence, I think it, it's it's important for me to not uh, share information. Yeah. Well, but at the same time, I think personally a good interview gets to the core of who people are more so than just... Uh, you know, what they're showing to the public. Sure, I and agree. And I think that because we have those personal conversations, you already have a better angle, yeah. which makes it more interesting to me anyway. And, you know, to be to be honest, the, the sort of precipice for this podcast came out of... Uh, can you hear the double... Like, it, it feels like I'm, I'm hearing myself. You hear that? You don't hear it? Mm-mm. Okay. I think I'm, uh, we're good. Okay. Uh, is that when we were making that film... There, I, and I just told somebody this. I think I told Tim McCormick on the last episode that, like, when I, I guess we, just your honesty in uh, showing the public that you're that you smoke cannabis gave me mm-hmm. some weird confidence. You don't hear that? I think it's on your end. Is your headphones there? Is that better? Yeah, that might. Be, yeah, I think that's better. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Technical stuff. Yeah. 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 Those those the headphones that you're rocking for the people that can't see look fucking awesome. Are they vintage old ones or are they new? No, no, no. they're new. Um, they look rad. Some somebody came. God, I wish I could remember his name. It's like that. He came to photograph me at my house, I believe. And on the way out, uh, he was like, "Hey, you want some headphones?" And we went to his car, and he had a trunk full of uh, headphones, uh, skull candy. I think he, I don't know how, I, I don't think it was on some illegal shit. I think he used to work for them or something, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was like, you know, pick one. And I was like, oh, well, you know, which ones sound the best? And he's like, all oh, these ones. And I was like, well, fucking, I'll take those. So, yeah, I just randomly came up on them. But um, since I've been working here at the Rebel 8 warehouse, I have to wear headphones when I'm drawing because usually I have a stereo on and it's blasting. But yeah. in this environment, like, that would not work out so good. Right. <laughs> So I was I was yeah. saying that you know your willingness to show the public your cannabis use somehow, oh, yeah. it, and when we were filming the the documentary, I think that's when it sort of came to light 
the level of honesty that I was seeing from you. And at the same time, uh, like some of these comedians like, like Joe Rogan and, and, uh, Joey Diaz who are doing podcasts who are, uh, also being very open about their real lives in comparison to what, like our stereotypical person in the limelight or like somebody who's famous or somebody who's, uh, looked up to, they have to act some like PG 13, you know, way to the public where I started seeing people who I admired and looked up to acting in a very open and honest way that made me feel less fear or like less likely to be judged or uh, made fun of or whatever and allowed me to do this podcast and be able to like open up and, and tell stories about myself or like my weaknesses or my strengths or all those things. So uh, it's good to have you on for uh, an unprecedented fourth episode. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so luckily I was able to get tattooed, like I said. Um, yeah. You recently just jumped back into doing a few tattoos here and there. And I, I know that the last time we had spoke, it, you there seemed to be some finality for you at that point like you were you were done tattooing yeah um i'm curious what some what led you back to it so here's this thing like yet like yesterday we had a long conversation with somebody who wasn't painting for a long time and mm. just got back into painting and uh talking about sort of attachments to him like willingness to sort of set something aside and be patient without it um has been something that i find admirable and maybe something that i see that i'm unable to do like i like i couldn't set down painting for a long time not because like i'm not like because i'm supposed to do it because sometimes of an attachment to it like in that like it's supposed to be done but it's not like supposed to be done because i love it even though i do but do you do you know what i'm saying yeah i mean for me, a lot of the reasons that I started tattooing again were financial, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I was paying two leases, one in San Francisco and one down here in L.A. for most of this this last year. Um, and that was kind of crippling. Yeah, I can so imagine. I just, needed, I just needed some extra money. Um, and it helped in that way a lot, you know? And also... I had never tried rotary tattoo machines before, and I was hopeful about you know how they operated, and I wanted to try it. So I have given it a try, um, but I'm still so much faster with a regular electric machine that I've kind of just gone back to that. Yeah, was um, it uh, was the challenge was was it about the challenge or trying a, a brand new tool? In, I thought. Or- Frankly, I thought using a rotary machine would be easier and it would help me work faster, you know? I mean, I spend hours and hours every day working with Sharpies on paper, just moving lines and kind of working in a similar way to tattooing, so I'm, I'm pretty quick with it now. And I, I constantly find tattooing uh, terribly frustrating because it's so slow. Right. Um, and I really want to, I feel like I could go 10 times as fast as what the technology is allowing me to do. Yeah, I hear you know what, what I mean, and that's and, and that skin too. You know, whatever. But, I think it's um, interesting that you bring that up because I wrote down that there is an efficiency. That's something that I want to talk about about your tattooing. That even mm-hmm. though it's a slow process, I feel like 
you're in, incredibly efficient in the the technical aspects of it. So like, for instance, I'm healing right now, like today I'm peeling and there's no hard spots. You know what I mean? So what okay. that tells me is that you're efficient in applying the ink to the skin without the damage of of having to go back over something a bunch of times. And, you know, it depends on the area and how you, a person heals, of course. But I've always noticed with the amount of tattoos that I have, an efficiency of line, you know, an efficiency of shading, of filling in color. So it's interesting to hear from your point of view that even that, even for you, it's still too slow of a process on some yeah. level. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just wish it was faster. That's all. I'm just bitchy. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> I mean, whatever. It I, is. It is what it is. It's the most difficult thing I know how to do, flat out. Yeah. And uh, it's humbling, and it it hurts the shit out of my hands and my back and my shoulders and my neck every time I do it. Um, and that's the main reason I don't do it more. You know, it's not because I don't love tattooing. It's just it 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 kicks my ass. You know, so, straight up. And drawing doesn't do the same thing to you. Do, do are you able to set yourself no. up in such a way that like no drawing's a totally different thing. The the thing people forget about with the tattooing is the stretching arm. It you know the the left hand. You know the, in my right hand I have to use the utmost finesse and the lightest touch possible. With my left I need to do the total opposite. I need to <laughs> hold the person steady. You know what I mean? Yeah. Almost to the point where I'll bruise people because I'm holding them still. Because if I need to pull a perfectly straight line, I need to make sure that motherfucker ain't moving. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. half of the battle, if not 60% of the battle in tattooing is stretching the skin properly. And that's another thing to do with speed. If I can't stretch the skin tight enough, I can't get it in fast enough. And I'm getting older. And the force it requires to say pull someone's uh love handles over you know <laughs> yeah, right right yeah that like physically it's tough for me now to work on those areas because that's... it's just so physically strenuous and it's such a a dynamic twist of the body to be so taut on one side for so long and there's the constant twisting in the chair and dipping in the ink and you have to go back and forth and you have this it's it's really 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 difficult. I think people that watch TV think it's easy as pie, but I swear <laughs> to God, it's the hardest fucking thing I know how to do. And I know how to do some serious art mediums, you know, but nothing, nothing, nothing compares to working in flesh, living, yeah. breathing flesh. That's something that nobody ever thinks about. And even I, I used to call you Iron Grip because you would grip with the <laughs> one hand that wasn't tattooing so fucking hard that you would feel it. And yeah. And you never really think about that, how you have to sort of have that both, uh, that yin and yang of a smooth yeah. finish on one side, like a, a non-tense, and then half of your body is in a state of tension. Exactly. Yeah. For hours on end. Non-stop, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I feel like that with a paintbrush, but it's obviously not on the same scale in that you have to kind of like, like neck and shoulder issues, like locking your, sure. like... It's weird. You kind of have to lock your body up in that only allowing like one part of your body to flow. And it, sure. It, sure. I mean, it, it would be like if you had to hold your canvas in front of you the whole damn time. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and stretch it while, while. Which, you know, could work because then you could turn the canvas really quickly and just really get. It depends on how you were painting. Right. right? Have you but seen that guy who does often, this? It makes painting? sense just to stick it 
up on an easel and keep it still. And then you don't have to touch it hands off. Yeah. You know, and if I could tattoo like that, that might be kind of nice. And I understand that there are some Japanese methods where they do have someone else, even Samoan Polynesian tattooing. Yeah. They'll have a groups of people stretch the skin. So the tattooer doesn't have to do with that part. He just has to tap it in or poke it in or whatever. And you know, and that, those and that guys makes sense to me. Whenever you see those images too, it's usually like the elder tattoo artist, right? Like it's it's not it's not always there. It always seems like oh, an sure. apprentice, it's like a couple young dudes. Been keeping the history too. Yeah, you know, a lot of cases those are uh, family lineage is the 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 way that the patterns are laid out on people. So it would take an elder to be able to say, "Well, you're the descendant of this person, this person, this person, this person, and this person." All of these are incorporated into your piece. You know, and yeah. you wouldn't know that. I would. Right. And I'm bestowing that upon you. Now you are part of us, part of a lineage, part of a tribe. You know? Right. Do or die. That's fresh. But, and do you think those things are still prevailing in those cultures? I, I feel like in What's Polynesian there? cultures you see it a lot. I don't know so much if the if it's still popularized Absolutely. in Japanese culture. We still see the hand pokes. You know, I frankly, you know, uh yeah. There's still very much a traditional live of traditional tattooing all over the world in different places using lots of different methods. The other thing is I see, let's say, American Polynesian, American Hawaiian kids getting really traditional tattoos done with electric machines, but still on their faces and their arms, you know, on their thighs, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. I am all for, you know, reestablishing that connection to our ancient past, for sure. I train with a bunch of Hawaiian kids that are really, like, uh, my homeboy just got both of his chest piece done. Right, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I think that's absolutely fantastic. And it's interesting, too, to see how it's uh, morphed into a modern style, Uh you know. Sometimes it's not exactly traditional, because the client doesn't particularly care that it's absolutely traditional. I just want the look. Right. And then it becomes this very modern new thing, which is exactly what it's about to me, you know, reestablishing those traditions in the modern way. Which is oh, funny. Oh. They, all, they all do the designs on their Muay Thai shin guards, too, which uh. kind of like transfers like some type of warrior <laughs> sure. ethic, warrior style into, yeah, your, uh, into your modern day uh, Muay Thai protective gear <laughs> sure it looks it's cool. almost it can be like incantation too where you're casting a spell um you're visually writing out a spell on yourself and it's meant to intimidate your opponent i mean it's as simple as makeup and you know war paint that kind of shit yeah i just did a series of um war paint paintings uh just recently but it was all civil war figures with uh-huh. with traditional war paint uh huh across their face like mixed with line like line and painting cool it's really popular but it seems as though it's a very um it's a been used sure yeah (laughs) like everything else right yeah for sure you know i think you know now that we have access to the world's history of art and design and everything um yeah, we kind of see that all just kind of gets... Which is kind of interesting to think done. about now, right? Because like, we were just talking about like traditional Polynesian design or whatever, and the beauty in that it passes on is basically a lot of the same type of things, similar images that pass through a culture. Mm-hmm. But then we look at uh, like modern art, and if we place it in the same type of context when there's similarities amongst things, it almost becomes vilified. 
You know, and this is something, yeah. you know, you've been drawing, you've been posting a lot of drawings of like old logos that you like, and, and yeah. you've done like old skate logos, like uh, re renditions of, of, of old things that have been from your past. And do you, do you ever catch flack for that stuff? Or, you know, like even, even law wise, like if like a company mm-hmm. like had some sort of copyright issue and was like, oh, I want to sue you for something, you know, we don't uh, look at it in the same context, right? Like, yeah. No, I mean, I'm I'm certainly an outsider in that way. I could really give a fuck. I mean, I would love to get a letter in the mail from some corporation that they they even notice something that I'm doing. You know, frankly, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not. Yeah, and you know, and I don't really get flack for any of it. I think it's more people are curious about what my intentions are. Yeah, which which is fantastic. You know, because intention is really. Um, well, it's a powerful theme in Buddhism for sure. Right. You know, um, but just, you know, that they're curious, like, why are you doing this, Mike? You know, and I, I, um, I did a Tumblr post where I put up an image of a collage of corporate logos and I tried to explain that to me, those are the modern hieroglyphics, you know, in 500 years, people are going to be looking at all those symbols blankly without any understanding of the meaning yeah at all they're going to be true. real simple like just like egyptian hieroglyphics that's why i even made the connection to the word hieroglyphics when i look at egyptian hieroglyphics i try to imbue the meaning from them by what they look like and in context of the other symbols around it you know and that's how meaning and language was built to begin with Right. You know, certain symbols mean certain things or certain sounds in this in the sense of language. So to me, I'm just trying to almost um, codify that modern logo type as a hieroglyphic for the future. Yeah, that's and in some ways, you know, it, it's pretty obvious. You know, I mean. And it's kind of preposterous at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, because of just the number of hieroglyphic images, let's see, that there's out there because of the commercial space. Whereas in ancient Egypt, they just didn't have supermarkets per se like we do. You know what I mean? Sure. Where there's this constant need for rebranding. And you know, so there's just, oh man, to me, it's just, it's wonderful. And, yeah. and to mix modern icons like the logo from the MGM Grand next to an ancient Egyptian hieroglyph next to uh, a Celtic, uh, you know you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it all, yeah. you know, and then next to uh, an old Paul Peralta skateboard graph. Uh-huh. Well, the context right? shifts like, on, on some level. Like, even if you, you're sure. abstracting things, if you don't have, like, the let's say the MGM lion without the MGM below... The, right. It disassociates from corporation and becomes yes. some type of icon that's intermixed with all these other ones. In that's uh, and that's that's kind of my point, you yeah. know. Even to the you know, and I and I've even done that in my own body. I have lots of logos on myself, mostly band logos like Public Enemy, <laughs> and um, you know, I have the the original Lowrider logo from Lowrider magazine. Yep. I've got the Metalheads Records logo on me. Um, I have all kinds of shit like that. You know, it's just like the 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 the, the important things. You know, right. teachers. We almost know? did the. We almost tattooed the Tupac cross on me. Oh, really? at one point. 
Yeah, that's a classic. Yeah, it didn't happen, but we almost did it. It was, I think, it was the, like the it was the anniversary of his death, or it was his birthday, uh, or some shit. I, when I was don't this? Know. The, what was the time that you did? Oh, uh, we I guess mm. like three years ago, four years like ago. Summer, like yeah, early it when, spring. Or it was when we were filming. Spring? I forget. Yeah, we filmed so many different occasions too. I know. Yeah. Um, so you've been in Los Angeles for about a year now, right? So, um. I'd say it's actually closer to nine months. Nine months, yeah. Yeah. How uh, how's things going? Being in the the southern portion of the of the this beautiful state. Well, like life in general, it's a, a game of pros and cons. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> to be honest with you, it, it was a hard transition because I had lived right next to Golden Gate Park for about almost two years. And uh, it was really nice. The building was shit. The landlord was shady. I had crazy <laughs> neighbors. Yeah. You know, whatever. But I had that park right there. And, you know, I, I loved it. And, and you know what? I remember, like, your transition from coming back to Amsterdam. Like, I could see yeah. how much you really did love that city. Like, when you came back, you had a different little... Yeah. It seemed like yeah. you had a different... Uh, appreciation for it maybe a little bit when you came back for that second time and i think we talked about it on some level um yeah yeah well so well i'm trying to think and before i lived in golden gate park though i lived in the tenderloin right in the the dense you know urban high crime part of san francisco it's one of the last bastions in america frankly i mean i can't even think of a place in new york city anymore that's like the tenderloin yeah you know here in Los Angeles is is pretty close, but it's still it's a different ball game. You know yeah. what I mean? Just in sheer numbers. Um, but like I, I don't know. This, so there's been this. I feel like I went from hyper urbanism, and then I was out near the park, and then my next move would have been to the woods. To be honest, <laughs> and I ended up throwing myself into downtown LA. So. That was that was hard. I had to really kind of reorient, you know, how I thought about everything for for a while. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's just it's really that, tough. Does that come into the actual like geographics of the location? You know, like being, you know, right next to yeah, one of the nicest yeah. parks maybe in the country, uh, to being in all gray concrete yeah, i mean yeah i mean I, I live in downtown la so it's a concrete jungle it's it's straight up blacktop and concrete from door to door across the streets you yeah. know there's trees here and there there's a random little park here and there a rooftop garden but um there's not much and i and i understand that like it's not really set up for residential living you know it's getting yeah. that way but um you know i i just like you know, I, I won't buy a car. I don't like even riding around in a car. And Los Angeles is very much a car city, you know. So for me to be able to live the lifestyle that I want to, I need to live within walking distance or bike cycling distance of where I work. And that puts me in downtown LA. Right. And, and that's fine. And it's been good um, as far as like... I don't know. There are some really good parts about it. I mean, you can't really deny that winter in L.A. is the shit. (laughs) It's so sunny and nice. I mean, even just now, I was out in a T-shirt enjoying the sun. 
I mean, you know, I, yeah. I, you can't beat that. And really, uh, that's what a lot of us are paying for. Yeah. That's what the rest of the country jokes about that. Yeah, you get all the nice weather in California, but you pay extra for it. Yeah. It's kind of weird being a person who was born and raised in it without the, yeah. the context of any other thing, even though I've experienced winter in other places. But without really living in it, you, you, don't, you can't fully understand. Yeah. No. No. You don't know what it is to be an American until you get outside of America. And same thing for California. Yeah. Same thing for anybody, anywhere. You know, if you want to understand your conditioning and your culture, you need to get out of it until you're in a place where you can forget about it. Right. So what are you doing to, do you feel like uh, you're coming more to grips with Los Angeles? Do you feel more at odds with it? Do you? Um, No, I mean, I've just settled into a good routine. Yeah. Um, it's I mean, actually, you know, because of the difficulties, it's kind of uh, pumped up my meditation practice and my yoga and my uh, basic health kind of things. Um, so I've gotten it pretty simple, you know, and I've been rolling solo for a long time now. So I just like, I just have kind of a day to day groove. You know what I mean? Right. I, I cook almost every meal for myself now. I go for long walks after dinner every day. I had, if, uh, I'm healing a bunch of digestive issues that were the result of just eating processed food and sugar and alcohol and coffee and stuff my whole life, just with abandon, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I've just had to really reorient things. So this time here has been good for that too, because I don't really have a lot of distractions. I don't have very many friends that live within walking distance at all. And uh, traveling across Los Angeles by bicycle is is dangerous, and it gives me a headache, and I get a sore throat from the carbon monoxide. So it can be kind of like I gotta really want to go somewhere, you know, to to even deal with it, you know. And yeah, and I already got a a ticket for running a red light here, man. So on a bicycle. Yeah, I even stopped. I took my feet off. I took my hands off the handlebars. And there was no, uh, uh, what do you call it, a sensor in the road or on the, on the sidewalk or anything to let the street know that there was a bicycle there to change the light. Yeah. So I just went. It just happened to be there was a cop right behind me on a motorcycle. So I, I basically did it right in front of him. Uh, and it, you know? And it, and it basically, it was, you know, it was some stupid shit. But... Ever since then, I have felt the oppression of of the system. You know, like it ended up costing me almost five hundred dollars just to take care of it. And I had to go down to the courthouse three times. Some bullshit. Yeah. It, well, and it and it really was some bullshit. And if I would have fought it, I would have fucking lost, and I would have paid twice as much. Yeah. You know, it's an incredible racket, and uh, and I've always known that. You know, and it's also, uh, I don't know, it was a good lesson, too, in, like, I don't know, the intimidation of the five O's, man. And you could see you could see how that could affect people in very poor neighborhoods who definitely don't have $400 to buy food, let alone to just give to the city. Hell no. Hell no. And they're, God, and so often they're the ones that got caught up in that bullshit. Every time I was at the courthouse, you know? Yeah, it was obvious who was getting caught up in that shit, dude. Yeah. It's, and it's fucked up, man. It's, 
Yeah, don't get me started. I think <laughs> that, that the whole judicial system needs a fucking enema. Seriously. Yeah, it does. Big time. You know, yeah. and we can do it. This is America. It's for the people. We can vote that shit. We right. can do it. You know? We got more guns than anybody. That's why our government's so scared of us. Right. And that's the way it's been since day one, man. <laughs> no doubt. I, that's I feel- what it's checks and balances. That's yeah, all that is. That's true. Checks and balances. No doubt. Yeah. More people being lazy about things, though, for it not to sure. change. You know? Yeah, because if people are being supported in some way. Yeah. Well, sure. Or the people I mean, who are the actually. pauses for the apathy are, are pretty obvious to me. But right. again, it's one of those things where you need to remove yourself from those things, and then yeah. you can see it more clearly. Yeah. But, you it's, know, it's those people benefiting. Turn off the TV for fucking a month and. You'd be hard pressed to get somebody to do it, I think, or they would cheat. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and that's like the true. biggest controlling mechanism I think there is out there today. Like when I drop in on it every once in a while, you know, it's incredible to me and how obvious it is of uh, what the biggest problems and what the biggest stresses and concerns and paranoias are. All you have to do is look at the advertising. Right. You know, it's an insurance company or it's a pharmaceutical company, right? Yeah. It's like one after the other or fucking cars, you know, and it would be full of fucking cigarettes and alcohol, too, if they would still let them. Right. Goddamn right. And that just changed into junk food. Yeah. Sure. Goddamn right. High fructose corn syrup's the worst. That was the first thing I had to get rid of. I OD'd on that shit and it almost killed me. Yeah. Straight up. I mean, where does diabetes come from, man? Do they ever just straight up say it? Well, I'm going to say it. It's fucking high fructose corn syrup. You know, I was looking at some photos of people from the 70s. Actually, like a like a whole series of just like young people in their 20s in, you know, the late yeah. 70s. Everyone has abs. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Well, or remember those the- too, those are the days before weapons. I knew that when I moved to New Mexico in the late 70s, it was still the gangsters fought with their hands. And they were huge, <laughs> right? They were monsters. Yeah. They were monsters because there weren't weapons around. There weren't weapons allowed. As soon as it went to gangbang and, you know, with the fucking guns, it changed the whole game. I've read many histories of, like, the Crips and the Bloods and the Latino gangs, the Mexican gangs, even white gangs. And it was totally that way up until around the 90s. It was all about brute force. And that was the whole thing back in the day fitness you know even my dad to this day i think he still lifts weights he always has (laughs) you know what i'm saying and he's not a huge dude at all he just that's just part of his like cardiovascular program yeah you know i'm I'm not sure if he still does it he's in his 60s i'll have to ask him i see him this weekend oh it was always there that you know being physical and being um strong was important you know for sure and it is it is very different and there was manufacturing People were working yeah. with their hands more. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the... I just was watching some movie where they were bringing robots into a factory in the 70s, and the foreman of the factory was like, you know, I used to have to load these 400-pound pallets with my buddy, 400 of them every single day, and it broke our backs, and I'm glad we don't have to put anybody else through that. Right. You know, we just saved a few, a few hundred jobs and da-da-da, people's breaking their back. And I'm like, yeah, but the flip side is, dog, you just took away 400 jobs from, like, regular people that maybe could have done that back break and work happily. Yeah. That's yeah. the bitch. 
I mean, you know, and we're paying for that now. I mean, the, the whole industrial revolution from the get-go, was, it's just gotten out of fucking control and only worse. Yeah, it's, as now we see slave labor throughout all the third world countries, like everything, remember everything used to be made in Taiwan, then everything was made in China, now everything's yeah. made in Afghanistan yeah. and sure. in the Middle also, East. Sure, India has lots of the... Indonesia. Wage. Absolutely, you know, and yeah, that's the, that's the that's the world we live in. It's all getting connected one way or the other, um, you know, for better or worse. Right. You know, but I still think there's vast possibilities for us. <laughs> you know, endless, endless. Yeah. No, no. I mean, no. everything could change tomorrow. Well, sure. Or not. You know. I mean, well, I guess it does anyway. No matter what, it's going to change tomorrow. It's not going to be the same as today. I I love to fantasize about electric power just being gone. And what would you be left with? You know? Like when I've been in blackouts, like in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we did the dude. Blackout. That was ridiculous. Yeah. I love blackouts. It really shows what people are made of. How friendly were people? You know? Yeah. It was like every intersection, the red lights were out. So every intersection, people were being super cautious, you know? Nobody was getting crazy, you know? People were, you know, coming out of their houses with candles and checking on the neighbors and make, making sure they had some and were talking in their yards. Yeah. The yeah. first time for some, in some places, you, you yeah. know? Yeah. It was just such a different world. And I thought it was so much more peaceful and together and... Uh, I think those are powerful lessons because those are lessons that I've learned on meditation retreats in the mountains with the monks. You know, as soon as you get rid of all this shit, the keys, the phone, the wallet, all that yeah. shit, it, there's, there's an incredible weight lifted just straight up, yeah. symbolic or not. I mean, it's, it's powerful. It's really, really powerful. Yeah, you know? I agree. Yeah, that, and that moment in San Diego was very interesting. And I don't know... And maybe it may not work the same way in some other cities like we see in like New York where yeah. things can go bad. There's always that, that option of things going bad. But there really what there's something about when everybody's having the same thought. When everyone yeah. has about the same sort of ideas on their mind or some of the same uh actions or or ideas, like knowing or, that all of us are out of electricity right now. This yeah. is a, a commonality amongst a, a bunch of thinking people. Yeah. Everybody was connected somehow. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think that can be a manipulative force as well. Yeah. Because we do all get drawn together for a common cause, you know, and if you're like me and believe that 9-11 was an inside job and all those people died unnecessarily, you know, and it was meant to bring the country together for a common cause and sure as shit it did. And a lot of people in foreign lands died for it and more so regular american soldiers right. more so mm -hmm. right exactly right yeah way more and that to me that's yeah that's you know that's I, disgusting and i can't i can't even it it blows my mind you know i had a friend that died there like it's personal yeah i don't know why the fuck people aren't waking up to the fact that that kind of shit is happening that level of manipulative force I always saw 9-11 as being, even though in that first week there w there seemed to be a cohesiveness, I always seen, I've seen it since then as being more divisive than bringing yeah. like a group of people together. But I see the like yeah. propaganda mind state of like Team America. 
Well, sure. You know, you had to, you had to have an enemy. Yeah. You had to have a reason. And that's, we had Tim on yesterday and he said, uh, groups get weird. Yeah. You know, once yeah. people start to group together, mm-hmm. things can get. Well, sure, mob mentality. Yeah, I think so. Of, of course, you know, you get a charismatic leader, and uh, yeah, I mean, it can go really wrong. Although, you can get a charismatic leader like Siddhartha Gautama, the historical Buddha, and uh, yeah, things are all of a sudden real nice all over. He brought peace to the fucking land, you know, right. and there was disputes between kings. They called on this wandering homeless guy. Do you think there's still... Is there still room for, you know, I'll use the term spiritual in quotations, I guess, just to be descriptive, like spiritual leaders in some new way in our modern age? Is there oh, is there still sure. room for these things? Of course. It's still within us. Yeah, We're still connected to the all. Right. I know this. I mean, by blood we are. Yeah. You know? We came into existence through other human beings, period. That's the way it's always been. You know, that's, that's some heavy shit. That's, <laughs> that's, and that's, that's the spirit. That's, that's the all that's within us, as well as that individual ego that's kind of the, the little running monkey in our heads. <laughs> yeah. Mine you know? fights inside. He has a little hammer and runs around sure. and, and smashes. Monkey mind. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what they call it. I it's have two conflicting ones. It. Monkey mind. Yeah, for sure. Couple bonobos you know? in there, yeah. fucking sure. that shit. But I, but I do think that that could happen. You know, it, it, this is maybe something we've talked about. It's like, why are we continually having to elect politicians to the highest offices in the federal government? Usually, business people, ninety-nine percent of the time, and they're the most ruthless, greediest of them. Why are we not able to elect someone like Oprah for president? <laughs> yeah, it's Harrison seemed- Ford for vice president. Why the fuck not? Seriously, yeah. why the hell not? If we can vote for the best goddamn singer on a fucking TV show, why can we not vote for the president the same fucking way? Yes, for if you real, if for you look at real, the amount of people not? that vote on those shows, and it correlates to almost the same amount of let's say of votes in any election, dude. Like, I it's think really it's close. Staggeringly more. Exactly my point. The people want to participate. They really want to, but the political system is a fucking dead end. Yeah, it shows that it's not because of, you know, Oprah is like a perfect example or somebody who's like a really famous movie star. There's no there's no reason that they wouldn't be able to garnish as many votes as some asshole business guy just out of popularity. Sure. That's exactly my point. That's way more democratic and way more American. We forget that George Washington himself did not want the job of president. To yeah, begin yeah, with, yeah, that he shit did was not want the job. They, he was told, "We need you to lead the country. You're the fucking saving grace, general man. You're the guy. We need you out front. You're the front man, and that's all you need to do. Be the president, you know. And you have your duties, and we have our ways of check, checking and balancing shit. This is a good gig for you, man. Just do it for us." And he did it. A lot of the founding fathers were not all that keen on getting involved. Because, again, they were business people, and they knew that business was the thing that was going to corrupt what they just made. Yeah. You know? And you know, it was the Civil War. Straight up. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Total business. And a lot of people don't know that. Like, I ranted, I was ranting about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, the the 
uh, American holiday, the yeah. federal holiday, wasn't didn't start until 1863, which the reality was is that Lincoln wanted to kind of distract everybody from the atrocities of war, present this idea of of universal uh, brotherhood in turn in in reality. Uh, trying to unify the Union so that the tax dollars from the South continued to flow into the North. So you create this holiday, uh, base it around these ideas of, of natives and, uh, and English folk, the pilgrims, having fucking dinner together like they're everybody's fucking great friends. Meanwhile, they're killing each other on yeah. a regular basis, both killing each other on a regular basis. And you see the same thing in the South and the North, this supposed brotherhood of the Union uh yeah being propagandized through a a yearly holiday and and now we look at it as something totally different even though there is some historical context to like the 1600s and the 1700s but that shit was utilized just like labor day is utilized to exactly implant a strike right right and used to implant a certain type of mindset about something that's totally opposite of the realities of the atrocity of murdering one another for profit of propaganda you know it's a it's a powerful force and if all the all the mainstream media is owned by six corporations like that's a powerful propagandist tool the most powerful one that the planet has ever seen so powerful that our american cultural outreach has gone planetary you know what I mean? Like when I go to other places in the world, they're watching Chuck Norris movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Straight up, like the shit gets around. Like why should? And, and and we're really the at the forefront of it. And it's so sad to me that we're not taking more responsibility for that too. And understanding, I mean, and I guess it's it's like the the movie ratings board. I wonder if those people have ever gone to a foreign country and been sitting there having a falafel in Amsterdam and having to watch like lethal weapon or some shit or you know just <laughs> brutality and murder and mayhem yeah, you know what yeah, i'm saying yeah. because like that that shit isn't cool and i don't understand why sex is wrong in that way too as far as motion pictures are concerned but violence is somehow a-okay and awesome yeah well it's you again know? it's that marketing to children so Forever, yeah. we've been okay with marketing violence and, and weaponry to children. We see it. Kids get guns all the time as toys. There's plenty of toy it's weaponry. It's going away, though. Yeah. I certainly see that as a trend among my friends. They absolutely sure. would not give their children a weapon um, toy, or if they saw their child using a toy as a weapon, they would immediately stop them and have a little chat. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'll, uh, but I will say, I hang out with some pretty mindful folks. Sure. Good parents, I'd say, you know, sure. for and sure. I would say it's it's likely that there's probably like gun toting nuts that are like, here, Johnny. I don't know why I automatically oh, sure. wanted to go southern accent like a racist. <laughs> well, the, I mean, well, <laughs> but they could be anywhere. It could be it could be the northern part of the country. Well, the like observation, Oregon. it's all true in that whole stereotype. That's true. What you just 
depict. Yeah, so, I mean, it's still it's stereotypical really... though. Like you, I could be talking about somebody from Oregon or Wyoming or you but know they Colorado. They still have that accent. I mean, they still have a southern accent, <laughs> no matter where they're. Well, at. that's just that's just a redneck accent. Yeah, the sure. Comedian yeah. that spoke about that. You can go anywhere in the world, and that accent's the same. You can be in Juneau, Alaska, or down in Tallahassee, <laughs> or up in uh, Boston. That redneck is the, it's it's a universal. I mean, yeah. even yeah. That's that's a, an American universal. God bless that. But but I understand the the trip about guns too. I mean, even myself, like I feel, LA has made that really apparent to me. I feel oppressed here, and I feel like um, I need to protect myself here. You know, and uh, as a meditator, I check myself because I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa! I just need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, if I'm back in the woods. I ain't tripping on this shit. Yeah. You know? I'm not, you know, it's not real to me. Every red light I have to stop at in the middle of nowhere in L.A. because I'm scared there's going to be some cop right behind me that's going to see me run a red light again. Yeah. You know? That's oppression. That, and I'm very, very aware of that moment to moment as I'm out interacting in the world. And it is, it's terrible, you know? Because I know that there's a different way. Right. You know, I've seen the other side and that's the, that's the Pandora's box too, because then you see that the people around you are living within it, not realizing how much they're suffering and stressing and being oppressed simply because they don't have the means to get out of it for a few moments to see, Yeah, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's gnarly. So you, you brought up, you know, like the w- when we were talking about the blackout, like uh, the availability yeah. of retreats. Uh, you've been a Buddhist yeah. for a long time, and well, you, have you done really long retreats? A Buddhist, but or, I do you know practice Buddhist. Uh, yeah, it's hard I, when you label the yourself. Buddhist, uh, yeah. The Buddhist practices have been the most helpful to me, and the most uh, I, I get them, and that they resound with my own experience. So I continue to roll with that. But yeah. I certainly have my um, problems with Buddhism, sure, too. Like, sure. You know, at the same time, I, I find um, personally a lot of uh, connections with Hindu philosophy as well, and even Egyptian. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, kind of weird. If you start studying something, all of a sudden you're supposed to be labeled as the thing that you're studying. If I, you know, like... Well, sure, sure. Because, you know, in that way, too, you do need to choose... A, a way with a capital W. I, I have, I do understand that in particular because, like, even the Freemasons kind of talk about this. You know, you there is a you have to ch- at some point dedicate yourself to one thing and follow it through to the end. So that how do I explain this? You've got it. You've got to do it yourself, and it's it's all. Uh, I don't know. Do you think it, like the idea that you have to like follow through with something in that you know is that like the idea of becoming a master of one thing and like not like a jack of all trades? This so this is something that's yeah, been a, a common that's topic. Ex- that yeah, I mean like that, that's really that's really the the crux of it. You know, it's like if you just keep dabbling, you're not really going to get to the core issue. But right. if you do choose one and follow it through, you'll see that what you've actually learned is all of the different ways is one way. They yeah. all lead to the same truth. That was the Freemason connection that I was trying yeah, to point out. Right. They know that it all comes from to back to the same 
you know, the same thing, this, the, the same idea, the same experience. It's right. God, it gets so abstract. But yeah, I you know. know. But it has history. It has culture. So the Freemasons will collect all of the different stories and information and theology from all the different cultures, put them all together, and find the common thread. Which is very and similar. The common thread is the one way. And I found it through Buddhism. The Freemasons, like the old Freemason books that I used to read, and they would allude to things in metaphor that now I understand because I've broken through my ego as a Buddhist practitioner. But I could have broken through my ego using vastly different techniques from all the different cultures of humanity and history. I chose the Buddhist path. And his did, in fact, and continues to um, bring light. You know? So those ideas are very similar to the logo drawing stuff that you were just doing. Well, sure. And a lot of the logos are coming from those ancient Freemason ideas, too, and the symbols inherent in, in, in them. You know what I mean? Right. A cross has a certain power and a certain meaning, you know, because it's a cross. It's a certain symbol. It's ingrained in our psyches. You can close your eyes and you can see that cross. And on some level, perhaps we're even born knowing that that's... That what that symbol that it has some sort of power and meaning. Yeah. I just noticed that when I was um, before we started talking, I was doing a meditation practice, and I made this sign of the uh, praying hands. You know, yep. but I do it like the Buddhist style with as, as a lotus. And what I was tripping out on was that that position as a human being has powerful meaning because thousands and thousands of generations of people in my personal bloodline. Also, when they make that sign, it's for a particular moment. It's for a particular experience, you know, for a focusing of uh, intentional energy, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm really connecting with something that my body has known for thousands of years. And there's power in that. There's incredible power in that simply in acknowledging that, that fact, you know, that there's certain physical things that have meaning and symbols have meaning just as much as that physical symbol of praying hands has meaning to us in all those vastly different ways, right? And even just to take the moment to think about a genealogy in that way, not only did a whole lineage of people who uh, were like you doing these same things, it took that whole lineage of people doing those same things for you to even be in existence now. You know what I mean? Sure. And that sure. sort of is a mind fuck in and of itself. Like yeah. that kind of checks your ego a little bit just in thinking that shit. Like when you think you're special. Sure. Think yeah. I, think there's no it, way. Well, you're special because of you know Or maybe you're special because of that. Because well, of that. I think thing, we're but, I think we're all you know, I think in in my experience when I've done long meditations over the course of many days, I go through kind of a regression. And, you know, it'll kind of go to where I start to remember things that happened when I was a teenager, things that happened when I was 10 years old, when I was five years old. And then things would come up that were uh, pre-thinking and speaking experiences that come up, right? And then it goes back further and further and further and further and further and further. And I think as if... I don't know if I've sat long enough, but I've had glimpses of it that there is this kind of, uh, it's almost like it's the connection to the all. You go all the way back, all the way through your ancestors, 
back into your how we evolved maybe from other life forms like apes, right? Back into the ocean, right? Back into single cell organism, all the way back. We all have the capacity to go back and to reconnect with all of that. That is within us at every cell of our bodies and even in our minds, we can experience that. I, I know I have, and I know that everyone has that capacity, you know, and that's incredible power, do you, you know, feel like that? And I think that that's one of the things that's why we're so distracted from going there. You know, when you make that connection, it, it has a powerful changing force in your life. What do you think, think it is about meditation that brings us into those sorts of phases? Well, it gets us away from the ego and it allows the stuff that's been wanting to come up to show itself, you know, to come up. Yeah. But it also brings up all your shit with it. <laughs> because demons? it's like, if we're going to be here, let's deal with it. So let's get past this. You know, so, and that's why, like in Tibetan uh, drawings, you know, you'll see their deities like it, riding through lakes of blood with fire around them. And they've got like necklaces of skulls and spears and they're riding these flaming horses and shit. And they're wrathful as all hell. It's because to sit quietly in meditation and to go into yourself you're going to need that kind of attitude to face your own demons uh-huh. because the scariest shit is your own demons. Not some shit that's outside in the world. It's your own shit. Why do we watch so much TV and movies? We're trying to avoid the demons in our own minds. Yeah. Right? It's much more fun to take on the demons of, let's say, uh, the Breaking Bad characters. Let's let that become our drama. Because right. my personal drama is fucking shit and terrible, and I don't even want to think about it. That's the that's the trap. We see those that's same the- metaphors in Christianity too, like Jesus oh. up on the up on the hill with the, his own demons and the burning bush and all that yeah, shit, yeah. right? Sure. Or the burning I bush mean, was Moses. Huh? Jesus was yeah, simply Moses. part of that Christ tradition. He wasn't the only Christ of his time. He was one of them. Yeah. And don't forget that he was even baptized by John, John the Baptist. What does that say? He revered John above himself, right? Yeah. You know, I was on some level. I was I mean, wondering if that was a like, you know, but but even his tradition was very much in line with the Buddhist tradition of asceticism, like the sadhus. You know, when Jesus came back from the dead, he didn't really come back from the dead. He came back from a retreat, and he was reborn because he had annihilated his ego and understood his connection to the all and became a son of God, you know? Right. But sure as shit, I am too, and you too. Right, and that's what you I mean. Know? So, like, is, wake up to it. Is, it. is that what it takes, like a, a modern day, all of us become gods on some level, or sons of gods, oh, you, daughters you ha- of gods? You, you, you have to do that work yourself. Right. Nobody can do it for you. Nobody can just go up in the woods and sit for you. And that seems to be the difference now that we see in like modern day religion where it's people are being told that God is going to do something for you. Like, sure. And they just pay for it. Yeah, it's easy. It's, kind of, it's convenient. And that's fine. Right. That's fine. Right. You know, because that comes with the creature comforts. And at, at base, you know, there's the spiritual side of us, too, that, that knows all these big, crazy things. But there's this biological side, too, that just wants to be warm that wants to have plenty of food, that wants to fuck, right. you know, that doesn't want to worry about anything like predators or, you know, 
<laughs> you know, you just want to, you just want to chill, right? You just want to have your comfy little apartment. I mean, I'm fucking guilty as all hell of that. Yeah, I know too. that, yep, so you know, I, and I, I'm working towards getting rid of that too, you know, for sure. So, um, what do you see in the future? Let's, uh, I know we talked a little bit that you want to start doing some some recording like a, a podcast yeah. or yeah. some type of That's spoken word thing. Yeah. Um, I've got, yeah, I mean, I've got a bunch of ideas for individual podcasts that I just simply need to get produced. Um, I've got a bunch of like mixtape kind of ideas where I would just tell stories over some music, particular music. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's like I would tell the story of losing my virginity over the song that I heard when I was when I was going. <laughs> yeah, down. nice. You know what I mean? nice, Make yeah. that connection, that kind of shit, yeah. like the song that was playing in the back of the goddamn cop car when I got arrested. You know that th- those story connections. Um, and then I do have some ideas for full length albums too. Nice. Uh, that have a lot of like, I don't know, variation in range. Yeah. I'm I'm just curious to see what I can do. I've always used my hands as my tool. Now I'm going to try to use my voice. And uh, I don't know. We'll see how that goes. That sounds awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I want to thank you again for for taking the time to shoot the shit with us. It's uh, it's much appreciated and always a a pleasure. Um, Uh, Can we send people over to your website? uh, Yeah, I mean, the best place to go is rebel8.com. I'm trying to think. I do, you know. I honestly put a lot of effort into my Tumblr too. Nice. Um, What's original the gi- original giant content All right, cool. Um, yeah, because like mikegiant.com is a good source too, but I don't really put a lot on there these days, and it doesn't have a store or anything. Yeah. Um, and you, you keep know, the I'll you do a blog once in a while. Uh, I do on a Rebel blog 8 on the now? Rebel 8 site, but I don't really post that much to it. You know, it's like a lot of the the day-to-day stuff that I do at Rebel 8 that I would post, I just can't because yeah, I can't right. leak out what I'm doing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you, know, yeah. Uh, you know, that's why the Tumblr is cool because I can just post whatever the fuck I want, even if it's stuff from other companies or just inspirational stuff or pornographic or whatever the fuck. I can just yeah. throw it on there. Nice. So, All right, we'll send everybody over there. All right, man. Thanks. All right, Mike. Let's do internet dap call today. All right. Oh, yeah. Word. Bam. All right. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Thank you, man. Have a good I'll day. Bye. Okay. Bye. Come on.